Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be starting off in verse 17 this morning. The title of today's message is Rags to Robes. And as I was preparing this uh, message, I had w- recently watched one of my favorite movies. It's called The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise and a guy named Ked Wanasami. And it's a story of a Civil War soldier named Nathan Algren, who was hired by the Emperor of Japan to train his armies in modern Western warfare. At that point, the Japanese Empire had largely been defended by a warrior class known as Samurai. Samurai were experts in medieval warfare, they, especially with swords and bow and arrow and cavalry. And the samurai were beginning to rebel against their government, moving into the modern world, and were becoming a problem that the emperor, and mostly his chief counselor, wanted dealt with. So when Captain Algren arrives in Japan, he begins to train a largely drafted conscript army on how to use single-shot firearms in the rigid formations of the army that were used during that time, you know, one person in the front, another roll in the back, another roll behind them, and everybody fires and reloads while the other one fires and reloads and, and all that kind of thing. But unfortunately, the emperor's counselor insisted on deploying the army before they were fully trained. And during their first um, battle with the samurai, the army is soundly defeated and Captain Algren is taken prisoner by the leader of the samurai a man named Kasamoto. And over the next several months, Captain Algren learns, learns about the samurai. He learns about their system of honor and conduct called Bushido, which samurai cling to without question, and those found violating this code are expected to end their own lives. In fact, at their first meeting, Captain Algren angrily accuses Kasamoto of murdering one of his soldiers as he was kneeling in surrender before a member of the samurai. And Kasamoto explained that that was to be expected of a Japanese soldier and that he aided him in ending his life because he had been defeated in battle and could not live with that shame. And Kasamoto said something that speaks even to us this morning when he said, many of our ways here in Japan may seem strange to you, as many of your ways seem strange to us. As Christians, many of our ways may seem strange to this world, just as many of the world's ways seem strange to us. And it got me thinking that most of us here were brought up in an American mindset. Many of us remember or may have heard the song by Frank Sinatra that talks about the rugged rugged individualism of an American when he said, I'm going to do it my way. It kind of explains the state of our country right now. There really isn't a standard moral code that is governing us anymore. I've often heard it said that America has about 330 million people in it. And what that does, but with this sense of individualism, is create 330 million special interest groups. We want what we want, even if it's at the expense of everyone else. And we've really seen that this week, haven't we? 
the leak of a confidential memo at the Supreme Court about a, repealing the landmark abortion case called Roe v. Wade has caused people to lose their minds thinking that their abortion rights are about to be rescinded. To that I would say, praise God if it is. And let me make one thing perfectly clear. In God's eyes, in the Bible's eyes, abortion is evil. Period. It is murder. And God will eventually judge this country for allowing it to happen here. Now, if anyone here or anyone in the podcast has ever gotten an abortion or participated in one, being the man that got the woman pregnant in the first place, there's forgiveness for you through Jesus Christ. Just as any other sin, if you come to the cross of Christ, he will forgive you for that. Now, with this case, the only thing repealing Roe v. Wade is going to do is send the issue back to the states, where it belongs to begin with. It was a bad decision to begin with, and what it's going to do is force either the U.S. Congress to draft laws or the individual states to have their own laws regarding it. I had many conversations this week about this at work, and many different opinions were given, and... There's a lot of misinformation out there. They're not taking away abortion rights. They're just putting it back to the states. In other words, abortion could be illegal here in Wisconsin, but completely legal in Michigan and Minnesota. And if you want one, you can go there and get it. I'm not obviously not saying that you should. I don't think you should ever. But that's all that this is going to be talking about. I would like us to be in prayer for this decision. And pray that this country and its people make wiser decisions in the coming months. And I bring this up just because this one subject proves the point that all of us being special interest groups. It just shows that we all have our opinions, we all have our wants, we all have our desires, and we all have this one thing that, that we care a great deal about, even if it seems to be at the expense of others. But the Bible... And especially what Paul is saying to the Ephesian church this morning is very, very different and has a very different view. I don't know if you know this about Christianity, but Christianity wasn't always called Christianity. In fact, at its birth, it wasn't called Christianity. That, that term came about a few hundred years later. It was called the way. If you remember from the book of Acts, that was the earliest designation to this new faith was called the way. And speaking about the fallen world system, in verse 20 of Ephesians 4, it says, That, however, is not the way of life that you have learned. That is what Paul is saying. This is, this is completely different from the world system. This way is the way of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is that Christianity is not just a central core set of beliefs that you have to believe. It comes with some central core set of actions that prove our beliefs. And that's what Paul was telling the church of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. And he's sending that truth forward to us this morning. And it, that truth is you can't call yourself a Christian if you fail to at least try to live up to the teachings of Jesus Christ. 
And we're going to learn that as we go step by step through Ephesians 4, 17 through 32 this morning. We're going to take it in small chunks and, and go through that to see the condition of those first that who do not know or refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and God. So we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. And Father, as we go through this, help us to see the contrast between how the world thinks, how the world does, how the world proceeds to, to function, and how we are supposed to be as believers, how we are called out to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people who are called after Jesus Christ to shine his light into this world. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now Paul had a slightly different way of looking at humanity than we might today. Paul, and the Bible even, is very binary. It is either here or there, black or white, not a lot of gray in there. And in Paul's mindset, he was not very tolerant of other people's viewpoint or cultures. And neither really is the Bible. In Paul's mind, and really in the Bible's mind, there were believers and there were unbelievers. There were no degrees in between. You were either in or you're out. See, this flies in the face of what we believe today. See, a lot of people in our world want to live half in and half out of church. Or, as I like to put it, one-seventh in and six-sevenths out. Sunday morning, we'll be Christians. We'll be Christians until about noon, one o'clock, then I'm going to take my, my robe of Christianity off and I'm going to toss it in the trunk. And then I'm going to live how, however I want for the rest of the week. And that's why so many Christians or churches or pastors and people who identify themselves with Christ can be seen marching in parades supporting abortion. Supporting things that, that the Bible specifically calls evil. That's why Paul describes them, saying their thinking is futile. It is futile. It means it has no future. It means it's wrong. It means it can't stand on it as a truth because it's like a castle made out of sand and the tide of God is going to come in and destroy it very quickly. And he even gives us a reason that, that their thinking is futile when he says that their minds have been darkened due to the hardening of their hearts. In other words, because they have loved sin so much, because they have desired to have it so much, because they have, have this little thing in a, in a dark closet over here, 
that, that they go to on occasion, that they, they love this, that that thing over here is really killing them. This thing over here that they hold on to is really dragging them down to death. And it's hardening their hearts toward the truth of God's word. And he even goes to... Uh, so far as to say that's why they've lost their spiritual sensitivity because the callousness that sin forms on your spirit, you lose sensitivity. Just like if you have a callus on your hand, your body makes calluses because of repetitive wear on a certain part of your body. And it's so you don't break down that skin. It's a, it's a protective thing. Well, in the case of sin, it's not protective. It's, it's actually keeping you from a full life with God because that callus has no sensitivity to it anymore. They have that, that callus disconnects you from the source of all truth. So you get swallowed up in the lies of the enemy. And when you get to that point, you can't even determine what is right anymore and what is wrong. Because you're separated from the source of truth that we know as God. Listen to me here. Truth, you may say, what is truth? Well, truth is reality as seen through the eyes of God. Think about that for a moment. And I'm going to say it again. Truth is reality seen through the eyes of our all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present God. Who else can tell us the truth but the one who created everything? Therefore, God has a right to be that home plate umpire in our lives. He gets a right to call balls and strikes when it comes to our behavior, our beliefs, our desires, or our opinions. He can do that because he is creator. We are created. As God said, in, as God said through Paul in Romans, in Romans 9.20, he said, But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make, up, make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? It's God's world. It's God's universe. He created everything within it, including you. Therefore, he has that right to judge behavior. He has that right to judge beliefs. He has that right to judge desires. And he has that right to, to tell you that your opinion on something is wrong or right. And if you don't like that, feel free to make your own universe. Then you can set the rules as you see fit. But until we get to that point, this is the universe we live in now. He's the boss. Until that time, and you're never going to get there, by the way. Just let me let you know that now. You're going to have to trust your Father in heaven that he wants what is best for you. And that's where Paul is heading as we continue to read in Ephesians 4. Verse 20 says, That, however, is not the way of life you learn. 
When you heard about Christ or were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is where we're going to get to the meat of what we're going to be talking about this morning. This picture that you see on the screen here, or if you see it as a thumbnail in the message if you're living online, shows a picture of Jesus robing us with the robe of righteousness. Taking off his robe and putting it upon us. And it matches what Paul says in Romans 13, 14 when he says, Rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. I mentioned a few moments ago that a lot of the reason America has turned away from God is we've made the wearing of Jesus a part-time event. Sunday morning only. Then those same people will complain that God is not blessing them. I, I want to just bring to light something this morning. God is a good father. And when we talk about his blessing, he will not give us something that will bring us harm. It's kind of like a person saying, buying a lottery ticket and saying, God, let this be the winner, let this be the winner, let this be the winner. And all of a sudden, now you have $200 million. Do you know that it's, something, it's, it's a really high percentage, over 90% of the people who win the lottery end up broke in five years? Isn't that amazing? They could blow through $200 million in five years, and they end up being broke, bankrupt, and destitute in that amount of time. I know there's probably people thinking, God, I'll be the exception. I'll be the 5%. But, um, but, but that is the truth. You see, Jesus said, if you ask for a piece of bread, God will not give you a stone. And if you ask for a fish, he will not give you a serpent. Even though he may be asking for something in your own mind, may see the best thing ever, he knows where the end of that is going to be. And therefore may not, quote unquote, bless you, in that way, and that he is protecting you from yourself. And this is why it is important for us to clothe ourselves with Jesus. If you again look at the picture on the screen, when we clothe ourselves with Jesus, we have his automatic peace, we have his strength, we have his guidance, we have his wisdom, we have his power, we have his presence, it's always available to us. We know how to pray, when to pray, how to speak, how to act, because he is totally enveloping himself around us so that we don't go the wrong way. There's an incredible scene in the Bible, one of my favorite scenes in the entire Bible. It's in Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3 takes place after the people have come back from Babylon. They're starting to, to come back into Israel and, and form the government, form the true worship of God. They've rebuilt the temple, and there was a delay in there 
at a time of a guy named Joshua being the high priest. And Zechariah sees a scene in heaven that I'm going to describe here in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, where Joshua, the high priest, is standing before God wearing filthy rags, and Satan is accusing him of not doing his job correctly. And in Zechariah 3, verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this man a bur- is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. And then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. And he put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. And I'll just make the note here that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus. It's Jesus incognito, if you will. But that is Jesus right there. So focus on two things here. God said, isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And the second thing is put clean robes upon him. See, what God was saying when he said, this man is a burning stick snatched from the fire, God was saying to Satan, listen, this man's salvation is standing right next to him, devil. I rebuke you for calling him anything other than my child. Jesus, the angel of the Lord is saying, clothe him and put my robes upon him. And when he puts his robes upon you, you never can be dirty again. And that is the greatest rags to robe story you will ever hear. And it's not just a story, it's a reality of all of those who follow Jesus, who call him Lord and God, Savior and King. It means your filthy rags of sin, of living for yourself, of trying to please God on your own terms will fall away. And you will wear the robe of righteousness that is the person of Jesus Christ. And if we are wearing Jesus Christ... Then the last part of the message and last part of this scripture should be obvious. In verse 25 of Ephesians 4, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbors, for we are all members of one body. Verse 26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for in the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. A couple points. Do not give the devil a foothold. Never, ever underestimate the power of what you may think is just a little sin. Sin is cancer, a highly aggressive metastatic cancer. If you leave it unchecked, it will spread through the entire person until it kills its host. Let me give you an idea of what this foothold is. I see the Bible and Jesus and just about everything I, I see or, or view or anything. And, and in the movie Saving Private Ryan, the beginning of it shows the Allies invading France at Normandy. And they're going, they're storming the beaches under this blistering machine gun and artillery rounds, trying to gain a foothold in France so the rest of the invasion force can land. They needed to get a foothold in France. This is the same thing that Satan is trying to do in your life. But if he is going to try to get a foothold into your heart, let it be under the blistering fire of the armies of heaven. Let him have to go through Jesus to get to your heart. Matter of fact, when the devil rings your doorknob or doorbell, just say, Jesus, can you get that for me? The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. However, if he already has a foothold from some sin that you enjoy so much or too much to give up, he already has the keys to your heart. He has permission to wreak havoc on your life. Consider some of the areas that he may have a foothold in your life today. Maybe it's swearing or, or, or sinful speech. And this is a hard one for many people, even Christians. A lot of, of well-meaning Christians have told me over the years that outside of taking God's name in vain or Jesus' name in vain, there really isn't any words in the Bible that, prohibit or that are prohibited. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> it is somewhat cultural, I would agree. But I will say you can't be wearing Christ and sound like the devil. Right? That's just common sense. The Bible has a lot to say about speaking carelessly, using curses, and letting our anger get the better of ourselves. I remember when I got out of the um, army before I got saved, even my dad, who was a sailor, yelled at me for cussing too much. He said, you just use the F word five times in a seven word sentence. He said, you sound like an idiot, son. You're not in the army anymore. You know, talk like a civilian or something. And, and he told me that. He's, he's, and, and my dad's not a Christian by any means, but it's, it's interesting when you're a pastor because people will be blah, 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 bleep, 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 bleep. They, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh. <laughs> You ever, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, sorry. Um, but it's been said that you're the only Bible people will get to read. 
So I ask of you, when they listen to you, or when they read the pages of your, of your life as you act and, and speak and, and do things in front of them, what are they going to find written in your pages? And if you don't rid yourself of, of that kind of behavior, the next group comes into play. You give the devil a foothold through your, what you say, and then bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, and malice come to root inside your heart. And I don't, I don't mean to sound heartless, but I don't care what evil has been done to you. And I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying just get over it. I mean, I grieve with you that evil was done to you at some point. And when I say I don't care, I just mean I put this in comparison to what was done to Jesus for us. And we may have gone, literally gone through H-E double hockey sticks. I mean, we may have gone through that, that valley of the shadow of death at some point in our lives. But consider Jesus. Jesus never messed up. He never sinned. Yet he carried upon himself the punishment of the entire world. His very creation that he loved turned on him. Even the Father had to turn his back on him. He suffered the greatest injustice that has ever been done to any person in history. And yet in Jesus there was no bitterness, there was no rage, there was no anger in him. Instead, his love for you held him to that cross. So I would encourage you, don't let anger rule in your heart. Don't let offense rule in your heart. Because it's one of the, the sneakiest footholds the devil will try to place in your heart. If he can get you there, it's going to lead to swearing. It's going to lead to violence. It's going to lead to selfishness. It's going to lead to you saying, well, I deserve this over here. And it's going to cause you to cast off Jesus as Lord and pick up the devil's rags to wear once again. And finally, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you are sealed for in the day of redemption. That cloak that Jesus gives us is the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity. He shares in everything you do, everything you think, and everything that you could possibly, possibly be involved in. Now, the Holy Spirit is not the force in Star Wars. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit feels emotion. The Holy Spirit is grieved when you drag him along with you into the mires of sin. As Christians and Pentecostal Christians, we should treasure the presence of God through the Holy Spirit and guard it with every ounce within our being. We need to guard the presence of God. We need to guard that place in our heart that he is supposed to exist in. And it's not just a small place, it's the whole thing. Let Jesus be the only thing that people see in you. 
And you do that by casting off the robes of your own life and putting on the robes of the new life. Many people here may need a fresh touch from God this morning. Many people here may need that Holy Spirit infilling once again in their lives. Many people here may need to come back to Jesus. Maybe you've drifted far away. Maybe you've you've let the devil have a foothold and now he has a significant portion of your life. So Father, as we present ourselves to you this morning, I ask, Father, that you search us and know us. If there be any here who cannot say with confidence that you are Lord and God and Savior and King of their life, Jesus, pour your spirit into their life. Renew them. Take off those those robes of or those rags of sin and place upon them robes of righteousness.